revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Welcome to Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Elena George. And today I have a colleague on who I greatly admire and respect, and I call a very good friend, Dr. Chris Held. She's an ophthalmologist in Texas, and she's on the front line of healthcare and independent medical, with an independent medical practice like my own. And she's taking the time out of her practice to start or to educate the legislators so that we can start getting laws in place to help save money. I think everybody's been caught up with the cost of health care, and single payer seems to be the thing, once again, it keeps coming around like some sort of bad cold, that it's the answer for all, the, to all our medical woes, and it's not. And one of the things that's driving our health care costs is our prescription drug prices. And I wanted Dr. Hell to come on and talk about something that most people have no idea it exists. It's something called the safe harbor law. And... Dr. Held, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Elena, thank you, Dr. George, so much for having me on. I admire and respect you so much. You're one of the people that inspired me that, like, yes, we can continue to practice our our profession of medicine, serving our patients first, honoring the patient-physician relationship without all of this third-party intrusion, but if it takes it takes a stand. It takes someone being strong and doing what you did and then what you inspired me to. And I'm grateful to have met you and call you my friend. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on and discuss this critically important issue with you because, you know, you and I can do what we want and we can choose to serve our patients. We can take care of our patients outside of a dysfunctional system. But if they can't get our, their medications, if, if we write them a prescription and they can't afford their medications, we've lost, everyone's lost. And that's what's happened to this day and age. Even the people that say, oh, I have quote-unquote coverage. Mm-hmm. Well, you may have coverage, but if you're diabetic and you can't get your insulin, you don't have anything. And that's where we are now. So thank you so much for having me to talk with you because your audience is incredible and, and I'm grateful for you and your audience. Well, thank you, Chris. You know, let's start at the beginning. I remember when I first started practicing medicine, you know, maybe back in 2001, the cost of prescription drugs was nothing like it is today. We went through a lot of different iterations where the generic drugs then took over and they were nicely, you know, it was a, a way for people to get to afford medication outside of the brand name system. And now we're seeing the generics are like they were brand uh, drugs in terms of pricing when you can find them. So I've seen the rationing. You can't even get IV fluid at this point. This is not by accident, is it? It's really not by accident. And not only is, is the cost, you know, going back to when you and I started practicing, um, but we don't have the innovation. You and I are having to treat our patients now with the same drugs that we used 15 and 20 years ago actually at greater cost and with less accessibility. And it, it's really been quite dis- disappointing and, and shocking to me that this has come to that point. And you're absolutely right about even IV failing. How in the world could we, the United States of America, 
the having shortage of IV saline in the OR. And one of our dear colleagues who has brought great attention to this is anesthesiologist Dr. Bob Campbell. You know, the anesthesiologists go into the OR in the morning and they're literally having to say, what do we have available for us to work with today? Can you imagine? And, you know, when we think about the fact that they're going in to deliver babies, they're having to try to deliver babies and take care of women, our nation's mothers, our nation's babies and their mothers, not knowing will we be able to give them an epidural if they need a C-section or will we have to put them under general anesthesia, which is proven far greater risk to the baby and the mom because we do not have available drugs and saline to safely use far safer means of anesthesia. Similarly, shortages of mag sulfate when women have preeclampsia and preterm labor. We don't have access to very basic medications that we've had for years and years, and it's because of this problem with the PBMs and the GPOs. And what's happened is that in order to get your drug on a formulary this day and age, you really have to be engaged in a pay-to-play scheme if you are the drug manufacturer. And as a result, the cost of the drugs go up. And for those that can't afford to play in this game, they lose the ability to stay in business. And when companies go out of business that are making very simple things like insulin and IV saline and mag sulfate, when those businesses go out of business, when those labs shut down, not only do we lose free market competition, which keeps the costs up, but we lose access to those very drugs. And we have people that are literally going without their medications, diabetics going without their insulin, people having to go under general anesthesia instead of local anesthesia because of this problem with the pharmaceutical benefit managers and the group purchasing organizations that are middlemen mm-hmm. that are extracting literally minimum $200 billion a year out of our healthcare system. And this is incredible money that is taken from the taxpayer, taken from the patient to profit these middlemen to an obscene extent lead to drug shortages and rationing, inflation of the cost of drugs, tainted drugs, because at this point in time when you can't get the drugs, you have to get them from other countries, Mm -hmm. such as China, where they can be contaminated, and from people that have to compound the drugs in labs that may not be able to do it perfectly. And so there's all sorts of problems with this, and it all boils down to unintended consequences of a law, and if we could repeal one sentence in a law, we could solve this problem. It, who, I don't, it's, I guess, you may not be able to tell me what congressperson came up with this this uh, this law, but is it safe to say that it was to the benefit of uh, Big Pharma, 
I mean, there were no doctors involved with this. I guess the AMA never had any kind of say-so in this. This is a big business decision, isn't it? Well, it really is now. It is. So what we've had is we've had um, a way back in 30 years ago, um, in 1987, there was a line added to Medicare. And what they did was they created a safe harbor. And I don't like the fact that this is called a safe harbor because it makes people think it's good. Mm -hmm. But actually what they did was they put in that you could do, they make, made kickbacks legalized. So when something that started as a good idea, you know, hospitals used to be nonprofit and run by churches and people that wanted to, in our communities, care for the sick and the needy. And what became expensive was that they were having to buy all sorts of, you know, Every supply for the hospital was expensive, and they said if we could buy in bulk, we would save money. So that's when the group purchasing organizations came about. And initially, the group purchasing organizations would work for, like, dues or a fee. And then there was a law that said, well, why should the hospital have to pay this fee? The hospitals are trying to help people. So let's let the middlemen, the group purchasing organizations, be paid on the other side by the vendor. And then the hospitals wouldn't have to pay. Well, guess what happened? In short order, all of a sudden when the person selling the product has to pay the middlemen, there's a lot of room for kickback. So take this forward 30 years. On the inpatient side, we've got the group purchasing organizations, and that's everything that the hospital buys from hip implants and knee implants and IV sailing and tubing and everything in the hospital to the outpatient side, which is the pharmaceutical benefit managers. And that's everything on the outpatient side from every single drug that you need to take and so now we have all of our insurance companies, everyone has an insurance plan, and they have a formulary. And a formulary is the list of drugs that you can get from and through your insurance company. And people know how complicated this is. There's tier one, mm-hmm. two, three, all these level drugs. Well, in order to get a drug on a formulary the pharmaceutical benefit managers go to the supplier, the vendor, the medication maker, the manufacturer of the drug, and say, what will you pay and what will you do to get on the formulary? And so now we have these formularies, this list of drugs that we can use that aren't chosen by the doctors. They aren't the things that you and I think are the best. They aren't the ones that are the most cost-efficient. They aren't the ones that are the best for the patient. They aren't the newest, most innovative drugs. They're the drugs that are made by companies that are willing to pay to play in a rebate scheme and et cetera that's very convoluted to get on the list. And what's very, very concerning is that in the pharmaceutical benefit management industry, 
There's only three huge companies right now that control over 80% of the PBM market. And more than 70% of all prescriptions dispensed in the United States of America are controlled by three companies, which is CVS Caremark, Express Script, and OptumRx, which is United PBM. So basically, in 2016, just two years ago, these three companies, CVS Caremark, Express Scripts, and United Optum, reported a net revenue of $303 billion. And out of that, we really think it's probably more than this, but they made $100 billion in profits. And this is just in being middlemen, brokering the ability to get on the formularies and then a convoluted, a convoluted um, supply chain system from there. So what's happened, Elena, is that instead of insulin costing a patient $88 to $100 a month, insulin now costs a patient $400 a month. Mm-hmm. And you and I both, as surgeons and specialists, see our patients coming in that are diabetic, and they can't afford their insulin. You know, when you pay $800 a month for your insurance, or even if you have subsidies, you can't. who can afford $400 a month for their insulin? <laughs> they can't. And they can't. No. And we know that this is all because of this dysfunctional side, uh, supply chain secondary to this safe harbor that legalizes kickbacks or keeps them from being punished. And um, if we could get rid of this, the cost of insulin would go back down from 400 to 88, and then if we could, then at that point in time, free market competition would be reintroduced, and we believe that people could get back to where they could get their insulin for $40 a month. This affects every American, and when you think of all the diabetics and patients with hypertension, all of the most simple drugs, we have got to address this, and it, people have got to wake up to it, and we've got to get this fixed. On that note, Chris, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're having a really important conversation with Dr. Chris Held, an ophthalmologist in private practice in Texas, who, like myself, is an advocate for her patients and a visionary. I mean, this is not rocket science here, Chris. This is manufactured, extreme elevation of cost, and that didn't have to happen. And one of the things that took me, that, that, that struck me in, in the three PBMs that you mentioned, what happened to conflict of interest or uh, uh, what do you call, um, geez, it's, for us it'd be the Stark Law. You couldn't self-refer. But you have United, who is a big insurer, in the PBM market, you have CVS, Caremark, who are pharmacies, who are in the PBM market. This is just a little bit of a, I don't know, I can't think of the word right now, but this has got to be against some sort of law, you know, where they're basically taking over the market and monopolizing it. Well, they really are. And it's there's a word for it. It's called a monopsony. Um the GPO PBM cartel is basically a buyer's monopoly or a monopoly, and this is the rarest and most harmful type of monopoly. Mm. And so really what they're doing, you know, an example of this, 
CVS is now going to buy Aetna, right. the insurance company, for $69 billion. Now, if that doesn't tell you something, that's like, you know, the, the company that transports the Coca-Cola is going to buy Coca-Cola. <laughs> the middlemen have become so profitable that they are now going to buy the insurance company. So it is basically, I think, I, you know, you and I aren't um, attorneys, but we're doctors and we're patients. And this is racketeering, this is money laundering, and what they're doing is basically making PBMs as a shell company. And they're trying to also wipe out the small mom-and-pop pharmacy. They're putting them out of business. Pharmacies are being hurt because they get a very small fraction mm -hmm. of profit from this. All the profit goes back to the insurance companies and the middlemen. And the there's no other industry or business where this is legal in any other business this is illegal and it's only because of this safe harbor that this is it's legalized theft from the american people and from the american patient there's a really good graph and i think people should all try to refer to it and um, it's by pharma and it really shows how the flow of um, money from a diabetic patient who ends up paying $408 a month for their insulin until their deductibles met. And the insurance company ends up getting $240 back in rebate. The pharmaceutical benefit manager ends up making about $55. So out of the $400 that the patient pays, $300 goes back to the insurance company and the pharmaceutical benefit manager. Wow. A small amount of money goes to the person who made the drug, maybe the $88. Mm -hmm. And it's a scam. The estimates are, and I'm everything that I'm telling you is the most conservative and lowest estimate. It's probably really far worse. Every drug that we're able to get, when we're able to get them, is probably inflated by 30 to 50% by this supply chain dysfunction that is legalized by the safe harbor. And if we could, and, and on the, so the inpatient side, over $100 billion, on the outpatient side, over $100 billion, could be taken back and used to lower drug costs for all patients and cost of all medical supplies. We cannot fix our health care problem without fixing this. And if we could fix this, we could solve everything without having to go. You know, everybody, this is across party lines. This mm -hmm. is across humanity lines. This affects everyone. And anyone who doesn't stand up for this, getting rid of this um, safe harbor, has only got to be part of the cartel, really, mm -hmm. because nobody can be in favor of harming patients like this. You know, one of the reasons that there was a meningitis outbreak years ago in 2012 was because there were contaminated drugs having to be sold by an unregulated compounding pharmacy, which was a direct result of this because two FDA-related generic drug makers could not keep making a steroid painkiller because it had become unprofitable. They were put out of business. So physicians had to buy from this compounding pharmacy. They got 
the hainted drugs and people were harmed. Same thing when we have to get drugs from China or another country. If they're tainted, people will be harmed. But worse than that, when we can't get salt water, and this is something you bring up so astutely. Remember they said, oh, we can't get salt water. We cannot get IV saline. Right. My goodness, we could make saving saline in any lab. Well, why can't we? Because it's made largely in Puerto Rico. Right. And they said, well, the hurricane came and they couldn't get the saline manufactured and out of Puerto Rico. Now, let's ask ourselves, why the United States of America is the only place we can make salt water in Puerto Rico? <laughs> That's because they're amongst all of this non-transparent, secret dealing, contracting. Part of it is, well, if I'm going to pay to get my drug on your formulary and give, all, give you all these rebates, you have to promise me nobody else is going to be on the formulary. So, say, Baxter, who makes saline in Puerto Rico probably had a secret contract that said no one else can make it. This sole sourcing contracting and secret deals is so bad and so harmful to patients, it's frightening. And the other thing is when they say, well, in order for me to get on your formulary, I'm going to have to pay you all this rebate money, guess what they have to do? then they have to raise the price of their drug. So it's a vicious cycle that keeps going on and on, and it leads to an, a tremendous shortage of drugs. We can't even get generics. Mm -hmm. We can't get drugs made because they have these secret deals that no one else can make them or put them on their list. So patients don't even have access to innovation, the best drugs. Things are truly inflated, and all we would have to do is get a repeal bill to be signed. Now, why hasn't that been done? Can you imagine? Gee, a great question. I well, wonder. It's, you know, when there's $200 billion a year profit to a middleman industry, if they take just 10% of that, which is $20 billion, to lobby and influence, mm -hmm. how can you and I, as physicians and patients, fight that? We have no power as far as that comes. But... We do have power as patients and physicians because we can vote and we need to call our congressmen and we need to call our senators and we need to let them know that we're aware of this. They must be. We need to make our fellow physicians aware of it. We need to make our people in our community aware of it. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop this problem. And, and one thing they'll do is they'll say, well, um, okay, Mr. Congressman, you're going to uh, sponsor this bill. Well, then we're going to give millions of dollars to support your opponent in the elections, you're going to be defeated. Or we're going to do this and that. You know, there's so much money and power thrown around by um, outside interests that have been allowed to come in between the patient and physician because of increasing intrusion by third party into the patient-physician relationship that it becomes very overwhelming. But we cannot give up and give in if if we, we have a bill, there is a bill, it's one page, and all they have to do is take out that clause that allows the GPOs to accept payments from the vendors. Normally, this is illegal. And if they can just take this one sentence out of the bill, and then boom, that's it. There's no more safe harbor from prosecution for racketeering. If a company writes contracts, then 
that fuel the sole source clauses and stuff, they're going to get caught and go to jail. Mm -hmm. And so we need to stop this. So we've got to get some bold, uh, well, you know, the the legislation has to originate in the House. So we need to get some bold congressmen to sponsor this, and then we need to get people to support it in the Senate. And this would save lives and patience and money. Um, we know it costs at least 30 to 40 percent of all the devices in the hospitals and, and much more. And the answer isn't single payer. You know, everybody that sees the problem, some people think, oh, well, we just don't have enough government. We need government to take it overall. Right. And others say, no, we need less. Well, this is so dysfunctional. There's no way that we can just add more um, dysfunction on top of this. And I'm hoping that when you get this word out to your listeners and your community and I can get it out to mine, that we will have a voice. We may not have $20 billion, but we do have the votes in each of our congressional districts. Mm -hmm. Like I said, this is an existential election. You know, we are in a position where we're at a crossroads. If the proponents of single-payer take over the Congress, then that would be the, the path that we go. And I'm, I'm totally with you on this. Doubling down on the most expensive aspects of our healthcare system is not the answer. And we're seeing this not only in the PBM side and the big pharma side, but honestly, I think we're seeing it on the hospital side as well. There's an, an article that came out from California that the, the, as they consolidate the hospitals, as they become too big to fail, the cost of health care and insurance premiums have only gone up. So that, to me, smacks, uh, you know, it's, it's a chilling effect that single payer could have, because I think it's going to be the same thing. But you have nowhere to go except that system. Well, that's really, the, that is what's happened. And, you know, if what we're experiencing now is any example of what will happen, well, we can only imagine. And you're right. Studies are showing now as that as hospitals are buying up more and more and more physicians' practices and controlling them, they can dictate what the costs will be. Mm-hmm. And the group purchasing organizations on the hospital side, you know there's even evidence that they also include kickbacks to the hospital administrators and the big, not just the hospital administrators, but these whole accountable care groups and these mm-hmm. big vertical integrated healthcare systems. They'll get kickbacks in the forms of shares of stock and all sorts of things. So the kickbacks are on many, many levels. And when the hospitals buy everyone up, they can decide what they want their costs to be. And you're exactly right. So you're showing now costs are not coming down. They're going up. And there's less efficiency. There was another study I read um, that the independent practices, the smaller practices like you and I have, where we deal directly with our patients. We're more efficient. Mm -hmm. We also spend more time with our patients, and we do it at way less cost because we aren't having to pay out for all of this insane nonsense of complying and reporting and um, paying middlemen. We're Mm -hmm. able to deal directly with our patients. And um, this is what we as a people and as patients and physicians should be fighting for the ability to continue to engage in a patient-physician relationship outside 
of all this growing dysfunction. And, you know, a study showed that if we do go to single payer, and, you know, single payer is just a nicer name for socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. Medicare for all is just a name for socialized medicine. It will cost 32 to $40 trillion over the next 10 years. Now, where are we going to come up with an additional $3.2 to $4 trillion a year? That money doesn't exist. So when that money doesn't exist, people will go without care. And the government will be deciding who gets care and who doesn't. And we see already what's happened in you know, in Great Britain, in Canada, and it doesn't work. You and I know there's no example of where it's ever worked. Well, people say, oh, well, what about Sweden and this and that? Okay, they have a fraction of the people we have in the United States of America, 320 plus or minus million people. We're not a small country. We're a large country. We also are a free country. We're a loving country, a compassionate country. Well, we want to take care of everyone. We're not willing to just put them on gurneys out in the hall or out in the street and not provide them care. So single-payer socialized medicine has never worked. It's not the answer. It's doomed to fail. And and Bernie Sanders and all of those uh, followers, Vermont, they, they failed so we don't have to. They tried to do it in <laughs> Vermont, and then the governor said, we can't do it. It was no, too expensive. It. So <laughs> yeah. It's too expensive. Uh, yeah. I don't think they even started in California. They talked about it, but it never even got off the ground because the cost was just prohibitive. And I mean, on that note, let's take a break because this is a really important topic for, to hammer home. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. I think Dr. Held is doing a wonderful job of explaining a very complex um, situation. But the bottom line is there's somebody, if you just follow the money, there's somebody who's standing to gain an entity, a, a, a business model, if you want to put it that way, that is using the doctor and the patient as a means for windfall profits. And it's disconcerting and disappointing, honestly, that our Congress doesn't have our best interest at heart that it's all about them just getting in. And we do have the power as patients and as physicians. We have the power of the purse. We can stop, well, we can stop getting sick for one thing, but we can also go to direct primary care or independent doctor's offices. Here in Georgia, we're allowed to dispense medication through our offices. I'm not sure if Texas allows that, allows that as well, but that's a really inexpensive way for patients to get their medication because we are not PBMs. We get our medications directly from, um, uh, not a manufacturer per se, but an, a, an entity that sells it like a one-off from the manufacturer, but you don't have the middleman involved. And it's a fraction of what it costs through the pharmacies. It is a fraction. And you know what? I think it is imperative that states get that. 44 states have it. Thank goodness you all have it in Georgia. We, of all things, we do not have it in Texas. Oh, wow. And it's one of the things that I and many uh, physicians are fighting for. Our legislature meets every other year. We have absolutely got to get in-office point-of-service dispense because, you know, I'll just give you an example. I had a patient come in because I am direct 
patient care, and even as a surgeon, I can establish my fees. And I've gone to the and negotiated way, 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 way down. In, in fact, I can perform cataract surgery on patients far less than if they use their insurance and certainly if they have a high deductible. But I had a gentleman come in, and, and we also have the ability in a direct patient care scenario to provide true charity, and I love doing that sometimes, uh, most all the time as much as I can. You know, true charity is when you you choose to offer that to a patient, you're not compelled by government. Mm-hmm. And I have a patient that I was able to take care of. He's a working man. He was early 60s, and he was literally blind from his cataracts because he didn't have insurance. So he found me through the direct patient care referral, and we had him set to go to surgery. And the first time he had to cancel because he didn't have a primary care physician, his blood pressure was sky high. So we got that taken care of. The second time we had to cancel because his sugar was 450 because he couldn't afford his insulin because of what we talked about earlier. And the third time we finally got to do it. And the reason that he couldn't afford his insulin the time before was because he had had to spend $600 on eye drops. And this brings us to two points. If I can have point of service dispense in my office, I can basically sell him the drops at cost, which would probably have been about $30, versus him going to a pharmacy. And it's really unfair competition. We talked about these agreements between the pharmacy benefit managers and the pharmacies. Mm -hmm. There are gag rules in their contracts, just like there's sole sourcing contracts that like, okay, if, if we're on your formulary, we're going to be the only one that gets to make this drug. Well, there's gag rules. So a patient will go in and the pharmacist cannot tell a patient that they could get the drug lower by paying cash and not using their insurance. So there's patients that come in and they want to get a drug and, and on the, let's say their drug plan will say it's $50. Well, they could maybe buy it for 15 if they just paid cash. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. So this patient went in to um, the pharmacy, and it was CVS, and it's typical that CVS, you know, is one of those top three we talked about. And rather than him being able to, oh, he had coupons. They didn't honor him. They didn't tell him anything. He paid $600 for drops. Well, what I've gone, my heart was broken. He did not have that. He paid more for his eye drops than he paid me to do his operation. And... Um, yes, to me, this is, is unethical. It's, it's, it's taking advantage of our most needy, hardworking people that are trying to pick themselves up and work and become independent. And it's just nothing rubs me more raw. So there's a company called Imprimus that will compound the drops. And they actually will take the three eye drops that I had prescribed, put them into one, because we don't have in-office dispense in Texas where I could just sell them to the patient at cost at the front, I have to have the patient, we fax or send things in, then the, they will contact the patient and they will mail the drop to the patient's home. And instead of it being $600, it's $50. What so difference? these are the things we have to do, and Texas has got to get that. And that's where a direct patient situation like you have, with point-of-service dispensing, saves our patients getting these middlemen out saves patients hundreds and thousands in our country, millions and billions. A recent patient um, who gets pays $850 a month now for her employer that she gets through her 
um, through her employer, he pays $850 a month for her. I wrote her for an eye drop, a very small bottle, that Humana said, you pay 70 And then if you look at the explanation of benefits, it says that Humana, they, it said Humana was going to charge $1,000 for that eye drop. Mm. And that she paid 70 and that they paid back the insurance company 900 What? Okay. I can order that. It's a scam. Mm-mm-mm. I can order that drop for that patient through Infamous at $50 a month, compounded. Now, I have to trust that that company is going to do it and we're not going to have problems. But if we try to just keep going along as patients, and, you know, the problem is when we don't, once our deductible has been met or once our employer or somebody else is paying for it, the tendency is for us to say, we don't care, we're not paying for it. Right. And I think that's how a lot of this keeps going on because if it's not coming out of my pocket and I don't see it, much of that $200 billion that is fueling these middlemen and the growth of this whole economic sector is because of the lack of transparency, the gag rules, the sole source contracting, the lack of transparency, and then the fact that there's no, once you've paid for it or your employer has, there's no skin in the game from the patient standpoint. And this is bankrupting our country, our healthcare system, and leading to rationing and shortages and really unnecessary pain, death, and suffering. Did you read that article about the poor young man who could not afford $400 a month for his insulin, went without it, and he died. No, I didn't hear that one. But it's So not this is the diabetics now. know about this. Yeah. It, it, this should not be happening in 2018 in the United States of America. Just to make a, a, an, an enrich a company further. You're absolutely right about that. And, you know, I wonder how, you believe, you're talking about the, the, the first line of the medical side, you know, the, the fact that people are denying themselves medication, but they're denying them services, I think. Now that I know where this money's going, now it makes a lot more sense. So as a physician, you're a surgeon like I am. If you get a pre-cert for a procedure and you're allowed to do it, and they give you the approval and they pull the rug at the, after you've done it and not pay it, this is... It's it now it makes sense. It's all in line with what they do. They are capturing money on both ends. They're keeping it. They're paying each other off for the privilege, and they have the sanction of the government to do it. Is is am I wrong? But that's how it seems to me. It's a big octopus, and it's it is a big octopus. It's a network. There, it's not like they're colluding. I I always thought that the well, insurance companies were, were making. You know, they decide what they're going to pay for. They get together and decide how much they're going to reimburse for something. If you join a health insurance plan, you don't know how much they're going to pay you. You literally have to pull teeth to find out what the allowed amount is, allowed amount is for a procedure. And they only give you like 10, maybe 20 procedures at a time. We do hundreds. You have to kind of guess about what you're going to be reimbursed for a procedure. It's unacceptable. I don't know why we all put up with it. Well, that's why I had, I couldn't do it anymore. I literally, three years ago on October 1st, went completely third-party free of all commercial insurance and opted out of Medicare because I could not deal with that Mm -hmm. insanity and I couldn't enable the dysfunction anymore. You know, one of the things, when you think about the way it works, the insurance companies get premiums from the patient and then they get subsidies from the government. So the insurance companies, and and then on the on the 
pharmaceutical benefit manager side and the pharmacy side, they get money. So you've got a group of business people, and remember, they're not doctors; they're business no. people. Yeah. Their their job is to make their their uh, their shareholders happy. Mm-hmm. Our job is to cure and take care of our patients. So really, you can't blame them. They're doing what they were trained to do. So they get money from the government and money from the patients. How do they keep the money? By not doling it out. They keep it by denying and delaying care. And that's why when you go to get your medication, when I left the office today, oh, Miss so-and-so can't get her flu again. It's her glaucoma drops at work. Mm-hmm. Every month we have to sit there and you do it. We have to do prior authorization, step edits, quantity limits. They do everything they can to delay and deny care because guess what? Every day that they keep their millions and billions in the bank, just think of the interest that they get in one day of delaying and denying, denying care. One day that you and I give them the meds. One day that you and I give them samples. Mm-hmm. Or, and every time a patient buys the medications in the office. And they, it, it also, it behooves them to inflate costs because when the pharmaceutical benefit managers and GPOs are paid a percentage of cost, oh. well, if you get 10%, it really is a lot nicer if the <laughs> device costs $10,000 instead of $1,000 because you're going to get 10 times more profit. So we have a perverted, convoluted system that encourages price inflation, lack of transparency, convolution, delay and denial of care, and we have patients suffering and waiting. And if you, and then the people that say, well, that's why we need single payer. Okay, do we really? Let's look at the VA. Let's look at the VA where 300,000 people died waiting to get in. Right. And and think about it now. Um, you know, Dr. George, when you have patients that need to go to subspecialists, I know in San Antonio, if I need someone to see a rheumatologist, oh, it's, yeah. it's not next week. It's a couple months. True. And an endocrinologist or a neurologist, very difficult. So that's a, that's a version of rationing, isn't network. it? Yeah. That's rationing. When you have, everyone has to have insurance, but there's only X people on your list. You're in line. Mm-hmm. It, there's, a, there's a long, long, long waiting line. Um, and now for the insurance companies, the longer you wait, the longer they get to have your money, whether it's whether you're on Medicare and they've enrolled you in a Medicare Advantage plan, which is basically an HMO. Right. So now they've taken your Medicare money, handed it over to a company that they take a portion out of that to administrators. Now there's less <laughs> money to take care of you. And then they implement their delay, their denial, their waiting. Every bit of that delay, their banking interest. And, you know, so they're okay. affordable. Well, the Affordable Care Act was supposed to fix that, right? So the insurance companies weren't allowed to make a profit. They, it, was, it was limited. It was, it was maxed out at a certain percentage. <gasps> Obviously, that 20%. never worked. Yeah, well, from well, what you're describing, okay. but, it didn't well, think work. But how it worked. Think how it worked in reverse because they can make 20% in administrative fees. So what does that encourage you to do? Raise the overall cost. Because if you only get 20% of, you know, $100 million, Mm -hmm. that's one thing. But if you can get 20% of a billion dollars. That's a whole other ballgame. Hey, just inflate things across the board. This is such a scam. It's an absolute scam. scam. It's all perverse. And we as patients and physicians, you know, and that's why, honestly, and and we're all patients. I mean, I've been through breast cancer and all my kids. I mean, I'm telling you, the last few years I am getting object lessons 
of what it means to be a patient and not be able to get your meds and not be able to get into the hospital mm-hmm. and not be able to get IV fluids. And, you know, I have a pa- I have this is what gets me. I hear this over and over from my patients. I'm so glad that I am fortunate enough to have the resources to go ahead and pay for this. Okay, two things. One, they shouldn't have to be doing that. They shouldn't have to be paying that amount for it. And how about everyone else that doesn't? So the whole people, when, when we got government into medicine in 1965 to take care of our elderly with Medicare and then those in need and the greatest need with Medicaid, now we have a system where it hurts them the most because in order to get care, you have to be able to go ahead and pay for yourself. And they're the ones, the very ones that it was developed for, the ones that cannot. And a lot of people say, oh, well, you can go, you can practice without insurance and because you have a more resourceful clientele. And that is not true. It's mm-hmm. really funny. I have patients from all walks of life, but you know who comes and sees me, like the patient I talked to you about earlier, mm-hmm. who can't afford their medications on their insurance or who is uninsured, the working people, the people that can't pay those premiums. So those are the people that you and I see who are outside of all of these insurance agreements. We're able to, my costs are half of what they are. My overhead is half of what they were because I've gotten all these middlemen out. If I can get in Texas, if I can get what you guys have, this point of service dispensing, I am going to be so happy. But the problem is when I read the Medicare for all bill that they've proposed. It's 18 pages and 123 uh, people have signed on, which is really frightening. Yeah. They totally outlaw any other insurance. You can only be on that. You can maybe get some insurance for cosmetic surgery, but nothing else. Any other is outlawed except for the single payer. So everyone will be rationed, waiting in line, subject to all of this dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And Will we be able to continue to practice? Or will they say we can't unless we play because we're gonna, they're gonna decide what determines who has a license, who has what. If I don't participate, I might not be able to practice. So this Medicare for all thing is frightening. It's socialized medicine and we don't know what it'll mean. It's a blank page and so far it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. On that note, let's take our last break. And come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. In the about five or six minutes we have left, I I really, we need to hammer this home, Chris, because single payer is a paradigm shift. I believe if they have their way, every doctor would be conscripted to take this insurance you won't get a license. You won't be able to practice medicine. I think you just scratched the surface. They want us to be part of the delivery system, whether we like it or not. And they want patients to be part of the system, whether they like it or not. And I've never thought that single payer or Obamacare was, out, was, was about health care. It was always about control. And it's about capturing information from soup to nuts what your likes are, if you have guns in your home, if you ever tried to hurt yourself. It's about getting a picture of you 
on top of everything else that they know about you and your social media and your other forms of social discourse. What's your take on it? I absolutely agree. It's 100% about cradle to grave control and social engineering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, much, this new law, MACRA, that has the MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, which I think is absolutely horrific. I think it is much like a Marxist grading system. Um, that is all part of Medicare. Now they're coming out with the all-payer system, and that will be pay- part of Medicare for all. That is where physicians are graded by the government. <laughs> By how wow. we do their bidding, and you know the, the 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 you get a low score for spending money on your patients, you get a high sco- score for not spending money on your patients, basically denying care. And this is not good. Mm-hmm. This is this is not the United States of America. This is completely giving up all of our liberty and freedom. They want all our data. That's the other thing. Is this this uh, you know? All access data where they have people that come in and, and can audit your medical records, that is your most private and personal information. And when we look what's happened, just if you look at what's going on over the last few years with losses of emails and texts and yeah. everything, do people really want their most intimate medical details open for everyone to peruse? And what if they lose your data or much less what if they do something to your data, mm-hmm. lose it, it gets messed up. I was a, I had a, I had an electronic medical error when I was in the hospital for my breast cancer surgery. They accidentally scanned my secret wristband into someone else's chart, and I got a man's medications almost led to that. Oh, wow. I mean, if I had not been a physician and noticed, read me my meds, I would have said, keep giving me more. So this is happening. And I think when we stop and look and, and see what's happening to people, America has got to wake up. And we also need to compel our congressmen to step up. We need a champion. We need a hero. And we need someone to get rid of this um, legalization of kickbacks from the PBMs and the GPOs. We can take that $200 billion, help all the really sick patients, and we cannot fall for this Medicare for All business. And I think anyone running on Medicare for All cannot be supported. I don't care what they're to party from. I don't care about party. If someone is running on a Medicare for All socialized medicine platform, we have got to go against them. I couldn't agree more. And their way of trying to sell this is the same tired um, expression of uh, pre-existing conditions. Everybody who has a pre-existing condition is not a cancer patient or a, a chronic renal failure patient. Pre-existing condition means you may have high blood pressure or diabetes, well-controlled, taking a medication, working a full, living a full life. But they make it seem as if that is the people, or those are the people who are in extremis, and that they're being that the healthcare is being pulled away. It's always about pulling on your emotional heartstrings, but it's never really about facts. Well, that's exactly right. And if we looked at the people that really, 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 really are sick with chronic illnesses, we could probably take that $200 billion that is being stolen from us by legalized theft Mm -hmm. and use that to treat the really, really sick people. And if you were able to have an affordable, high-deductible insurance, we went back to insurance. Exactly. No one would have a pre-existing condition. We need to redefine pre-existing conditions. We need to quantify it. 
We can take care of our really sick. We are a wonderful, smart, compassionate country. And then not have everyone else being paid, paying huge amounts of money for what amounts to a catastrophic insurance while we allow all these middlemen to take the money that would otherwise be taking care of our truly sick and in need. I couldn't and people would say they like single payer. I always say, I look at them in the eye and I say, have you or a loved one ever been sick or injured? And oftentimes they either won't answer or they'll have to admit no. Mm-hmm. That's a good statement. So <laughs> It's the ignorance. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, people are talking about the you know, that they know what's going on, but they don't take the time to do their own due diligence. They want to be told what to do. They want to follow along with the crowd and the herd. And the people who are telling us that we should like something are the very people who don't have to use it. I would, I would challenge any congressperson to use Obamacare. They've grandfathered themselves out and their aides. They could care less. I mean, we're living yep. in some sort of uh, royal system where they can get it to make a decree that they don't have to follow, but we all do. I, have, I take offense to that, personally. Well, I do, too. And I take offense to the fact, too, that they tell people, oh, you have coverage. And then you go, you can't get into a doctor for months. You mm -hmm. can't get a specialist. They deny your MRI. They deny your care. And then they say, okay, you need insulin, $400 a month. Well, where are you going to get that? So you have no care. Mm -hmm. Or you, you throw your back out. And you could have surgery. You could have a disc removed. But they say, oh, no, you have to try therapy first. You have to wait for this. You have to wait for that. All the while, you're out of work. You're in pain. You're suffering. Your family's falling apart. You can't put food on the table. And you're just waiting, waiting, waiting because of nonsense rules made by non-physicians and people that are, are supposed to run a business, not people that are supposed to save lives and alleviate suffering. And we need to, as physicians, Stop saying we don't have a choice. This is the way it is. It isn't the way it used to be. And quit enabling the system and stand up for our patients and get these people out of the exam room and just say no more. And we need to be, I'm, we need to find a way to get them their meds and to innovate. And you know, maybe if we would stop saying innovation's too expensive and innovate, we wouldn't have ever have pre existing conditions. <laughs> if you are born and you're, you know, we could make this better, not make this worse. And we're we're headed down the wrong trail with with uh, single payer, and uh, we've got to stop this um, PBM business and then go on from there. And I'm trying to um, help everyone, my colleagues, um, my patients, my legislators, all understand this. As are you, and I just cannot thank you enough for this time to discuss this. And I'm hoping people will look at their, like when they go to the pharmacy, mm -hmm. before you fill the prescription, ask how much it's going to cost. Ask if there's a generic. Or if you go in and they say, we don't have that, say, why not? And when you're in the hospital, find out if you're getting the best drug or if you're getting not the best drug or if you should be on an IV fluid and you're not because it's rationed. Um, those are just simple examples. And... When you look, get your bill from your insurance company, even though you had to just pay $70, look and see what sort of kickback and rebate scheme went on and collect these numbers and tell your legislators, 
tell your congressman, tell your senator, tell your uh, state and local representatives, too, and educate one another and just say no more. We, the American people, are not going to be, you know, the source of these racketeers' profits just because we get sick and need meds. We need to all just put the brakes on this. I think that that's a great way place to stop with a call to action. Uh, Chris, how can people reach you and your organization? Because there is some, some an organization that people can actually support. Am I correct? There really is. Um, if you go online, we have a, uh, you can go to nomiddlemen.org, nomiddlemen.org. And we have a video, a three to four minute video that shows what's kind of happening with this a dysfunctional supply chain and rebate and kickback system. And you can go to hashtag no middlemen. There's a YouTube no middlemen. And um, sometimes if you can't bring it up, you go to Physicians for Reform. But really this is a coalition of thousands of physicians and other people in the community, patients, physicians, um, called no middlemen. There's Physicians Against Drug Shortages. You can go online. You can go on Twitter. I would love to engage with anyone on Twitter at Chris Held MD or KKS Held, and I can post these things. But no middlemen um, dot org, and um, then many of these other organizations that are associated with it are very good. Um, AAPS, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, has very much information. And um, I think if people start there, there's. Um, a great way we can grow and get together and stop this. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for your time and your expertise, and I can't wait to have you back on again. Thank you so much. I really can't um, thank you enough, and um, I look forward to continuing the wonderful practice of medicine alongside you and with our patients and all for their good. Thanks for all you do, Dr. George. Thank you, and God bless. And thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.